0: Pull out your notes. uh, You'll see we're talking about delightful fear. Are you intrigued? Yes. Okay. Good. It's a thing. It really is. We'll take a look at it this morning. Um, It's it's something I feel like God's been talking to me about the fear of the Lord, and uh, I've been thinking about it, and so uh, I'm. Just kind of sharing my thoughts with you this morning, let you uh, enter into the mind of Tony, you're welcome, or I'm sorry, whichever way it goes, Uh, but here we go. So, uh, because I think the fear of the Lord is is so common as as a concept that we often haven't deeply thought of it, and so I want to this morning. So, understand I'm trying to provoke you to think more deeply about this in terms of how this applies in your life. Amen? Amen. All right, so the fear of the Lord. It is, as you probably are aware, a repeated expectation in the Scriptures. Uh, Easily, I estimate over 250 verses deal with the fear of the Lord, exhorting us to fear the Lord, Um, probably more, uh, definitely more in the Old Testament than the New Testament, but it's both. Lots of verses, fear the Lord, fear the Lord, fear the Lord. So we should understand what it means to do this, amen? Amen. So not only is it repeated as an expectation, it's repeatedly linked to obedience or to following his ways. Again, I'm not going to look at all these verses, there's hundreds of them, Uh, but again and again and again you'll see fear the Lord and keep his commandments, or they feared the Lord, or he did... Uh, what was right inside the Lord because he feared the Lord. Or they did not fear the Lord, and so they went after other gods. Uh, Or they did not fear the Lord, and so they did not keep his commandments. It's tied together with obedience, with following his ways. And probably uh, the clearest place we see this is the last two verses in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, Solomon is summing up the entire Bible and relationship with God for us, in Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14, when he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. For those of you who really want a concise Bible, here it is. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. So that's it. Fear God and keep his commandments. And so it's important that we know what it means to fear God. Uh, And he even gives us the reason. In the next verse, for God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So fear God and keep his commandments because he's going to bring everything we do into judgment. Scary, right? Yeah? No? Scares me. But we need to learn more. Now... (laughs) If you've ever heard anyone speak on the fear of the Lord, the common definition you will hear is that it is really reverence. It means to uh, reverence God, and this is biblical. I'm going to give you a verse, Uh, and so you see that uh, at at one point it is biblical, but I don't think it's the whole story. I think it's it's oversimplifying. What the fear of god is i think it's more than just reverence because um there's even in second Kings 17 there's even a people who reverenced god but then did their own thing and so it's more than that but let's go ahead and cover that in hebrews 12 28 29 he says therefore since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably. What does it mean to serve God acceptably? With reverence, which could probably be trans, uh, translated caution. Uh, so you've got to be careful around a big, scary God. You understand? And uh, with godly fear, which could be translated fear or reverence or awe. So this is probably the best place we see the fear of God translated as reverence or as awe. For our God is a consuming fire, which paints a picture of something a little scary, right? Yes. God, the consuming fire. And he will, in the last days, every time, everywhere we see in the scriptures, his appearing in the last days, you see things like a fire goes before him, or he dwells in the midst of a whirlwind. Uh, uh, people are crying out, uh, mountains fall on us, hide us from the Lamb. Uh, He's coming and He's a consuming fire. So there's a a scary element to this, right? And so the problem and the reason I think we use the term reverence for the fear of God is that we have a problem in the New Testament with reconciling the fear of the Lord, and it is a New Testament concept. It is mentioned several times in the New Testament, not just the old. And uh, we have a problem reconciling the fear of the Lord with His love, uh, and specifically with deliverance from fear. How many of you can think of verses in the Old and the New Testament that talk about God delivering us from fear? Yes. So it sounds a little schizophrenic. I will deliver you from fear, now fear me, right? Yes. So if we don't understand what he means uh, by these things, uh, then, we, then we can get in trouble. Now, here's what I noticed as I'm looking at all these verses, that uh, all these concepts Uh, The fear of the Lord, the love of God being delivered from fear, they're all present in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. But what you'll notice is the Old Testament is a little heavier on the fear of the Lord, and the New Testament is a little heavier on the love of God. And even though they're in both places, and God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, so he didn't change his personality between the Testaments, but... Uh, It makes me think perhaps this is a progressive revelation because we know that the Old Testament, the law, was the schoolmaster to lead us to Christ, as Galatians say. That the, the, the New Testament relationship we have with God builds on the Old Testament revelation and understanding. And so it made me think maybe it's progressive. And as I studied more, I came up with three levels of the fear of the Lord. And, you know, for those of you who like video games and leveling up, you'll have an opportunity today to level up in the fear of the Lord, and you should. Now, all the concepts here are biblical, and we're going to look at in verses. The levels, there's nowhere in the Bible where it, it gives three levels. That's Tony. So, you know, if you don't like that, just think of it in another way. But it works for me, okay? So here we go. Now, the first level... Of the fear of the Lord is the fear of punishment. And this is real. Uh, We can say um, that the fear of the Lord isn't so much fear as reverence, but when you read in the Bible, uh, sometimes when God shows up, they're screaming and falling down as if dead. And it sounds like, no, that's really just terror, (laughs) right? And so there is an element of the fear of punishment. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. You understand what he's saying? He's saying, look, you can be afraid of these people and they can't kill you, but I can throw you in hell. And you should be more afraid of me. That's what he's saying, right? So there is a place for the literal fear of punishment. But here's what's interesting. Three verses later, he tells them not to fear. Again, is God being schizophrenic? And the answer is no. So he tells them, fear the one who can throw you into hell. And then he starts talking about um, sparrows and how sparrows are really cheap, but God knows every single one of them that falls to the ground. And he says, don't worry. You guys are worth more than many sparrows, so don't be afraid. So I want you to catch this because it's important if we wanna level up and don't wanna be stuck in fear one level of the Lord. Uh, he's saying, you need to be afraid, everyone needs to be afraid of the one who can throw into hell, but you guys don't need to be afraid. Aha, uh-huh. well, let's see if we can figure out why they're exempt from this fear. Second Corinthians five ten through 11, Paul deals with the same concept. Fear of punishment uh, has to do with judgment, right? And we learn from Ecclesiastes that God will judge everything. So, Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, all means you and me and everyone who didn't come to church this morning as well. Right? Amen. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord we persuade men. Knowing how terrifying, how utterly pant-wetting, terrifying it's going to be to stand before God in our sin and be judged, we persuade men. Right? You understand what Paul's saying? But catch this next sentence. He says, but we are well known to God. Did you catch that? Do you need to be terrified? No. No. So the terror of the Lord is real, but only to those who have rejected him. But we are well-known. You see the distinction? He's making that same distinction that uh, was being made by Jesus in Matthew 10. Let's look at one more, and this one's just super-duper clear. Fear of punishment has to do with judgment. We're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, right? People have a hard time believing this when I tell it to them, but it's true. Uh, Mostly, our appearing before the judgment seat of Christ is not about punishment. In fact, it's not at all about punishment. It's mostly about reward. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. He is very excited about rewarding his children. Yeah. And I can tell by your faces, you're going, huh, really? I'm telling you, it's true. It's in the Bible. A lot of places, he talks about his reward. John five twenty four. Catch this. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. Any reason for you to be terrified this morning? No. So we need to see this. The fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord punishing you and sending you to hell is a real fear and it should get you saved. But once it does, you can remove that fear because you've passed from death into life. You don't have to worry about the terror of the Lord because you're well known. You shall not come into judgment. I love John 3.36 is the most concise gospel. I think it says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God rests on him or abides on him. Every single human being on the planet is either a new creation in Christ or under the wrath of God. And we each get to choose which one we're going to be. That's the simple gospel. That Jesus Christ died for our sins. And they're either forgiven or they're not. We either stand before him in our sin. Or we stand before him in the righteousness of Jesus. And so there is a place for the terror of the Lord. And it's to get you to the love of the Lord. All right, So... Let's look at that verse, 1 John 4, 17 through 18. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Think about that, guys. When I first read that verse, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, Did you, was your first thought to go, yeah, baby, I'm ready. <laughs> boldness. Or was it, oh, crap. (laughs) We need to understand these things. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. If you're afraid God's going to punish you, you either need to get saved or you need to renew your mind. That's right. yeah. Amen. Because God is not going to torment his children. Those who have put their faith in him. If you have not put your faith in Jesus, you need to be afraid and you need to get saved. There is no other option. Don't go to hell. Go to Jesus. <laughs> Any questions? Okay. Guys, we got to get this. If you find yourself occasionally afraid that God's punishing you or he's going to punish you, and you know you've put your faith in him, you need to level up. You need to level up in your fear of the Lord. You're living in level one fear of the Lord, and it's not for you. It's for people who need to get saved. God's not going to punish you. You He will chastise us. He will correct us. He will You know, there's a difference between uh, condemnation and uh, refining, right? But his heart is not to judge us, to condemn us. He came not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved, right? He came to deliver us from condemnation, to deliver us from judgment, that we could say, um, everyone who is in him shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into eternal life, new creation in Christ. You get this. So you got to get this, because even when you screw up, we all will, and we're afraid God's going to punish us, we have to remind ourselves, this is not the fear of the Lord. This is not the fear of the Lord. This is the lowest level of the fear of the Lord I can have, and it's not super motivating, the fear of punishment. Any of you who have raised kids, you know that only gets you so far, right? They'll get around that. You understand that? You aren't loving your kids. Your only way you're managing your kids is by the fear of punishment, they're not going to turn out that great. That's right. Right? That's right? You have to get beyond just that. That's not the best motivator. It is, it is a solid motivator, and they should be a little afraid of you punishing them. <laughs> but you get me. So let's move on. Level two. What does level two fear of the Lord look like? Well, this is honestly, I believe, where most of the church lives. Level two, fear of the Lord. And it is the fear of negative consequences. I know God loves me. I know God's not doing this to me. I know God doesn't want to punish me. But I am afraid that if I don't do things right, the devil's going to come in and screw things up, or there's just going to be negative consequences. I am afraid if I don't do everything just right, bad things are going to happen to me. Okay? And, and this is, again, a valid fear in a sense. Uh, it's the law of reaping and sowing, which we read about in Galatians 6, verses 7 through 9. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. And all that means is he's not mad. He's just saying, uh, look, I said it's going to work this way. It's going to work this way. No one's going to be able to mock me and say, no, 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 God, it didn't happen the way you said. It will happen the way I said. Period. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. He who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So it's just saying we reap what we sow. And so most of us live in, when we hear the fear of the Lord, we live in this kind of fear of the Lord. Well, how am I doing? Am I doing good enough that God can bless me, or am am I doing bad enough that the devil can do stuff in my house, and, you know, and to be fair, we could lean on the second part of this, if I sow the Spirit, I'll reap everlasting life, and if I hang in there and keep doing good, in due season, there may be a delay between the doing good and the reaping, you understand, just like when you plant seeds, they don't, you know, they're there tomorrow as a plant, there's time involved, but uh, we could focus on that and go, I'm just sowing good in the spirit, and I'm going to reap. Uh, but let's be honest with ourselves, human nature, we tend to focus on the negative, don't we? And so more than uh, it being about us uh, reaping blessing, we tend to fear negative consequences. And I would suggest to you that a lot of the church lives right here in level two fear of the Lord. Uh, why are you obeying God? Well, because if I don't, bad things will happen. Now, God's not going to punch me, but his ways work, and if I don't do it his way, the devil's just waiting to make my car not run anymore. Right? I saw him in the driveway looking at my tires. You understand? Now, that'll work, uh, but I am currently working on leveling up to level three fear of the Lord. All right? And I want to encourage you. Now, I think I approach it sometime, I don't know, in various things. Maybe I'm, you know, a 2.4 here and a 2.7 there whatever. Uh, It doesn't really matter. I'm just working towards level three fear of the Lord. Let's understand what this is. And this is where it gets interesting. I'm going to define level three fear of the Lord as the fear of missing out. Or FOMO for those of you who, you know, are cool. (laughs) Right? Right? Fear of missing out. This is where it gets interesting, and this is where I think the church needs to grow in the fear of the Lord. So stay with me. Trying to make you think here. In Deuteronomy 10, it's one of those many passages where God says, Fear the Lord and keep his commandments. But he, he does something interesting. At the end of it, right at the end of Deuteronomy 10 12 through 13, he says, For your good. Fear me. Keep my commandments for your good. It's when we begin to get that God isn't just trying to make us do stuff, that he's actually trying to bless us, that there's a blessing in this. Not that if I don't do this, uh, I'm going to have negative consequences. I've, I begin to shift over to if I, if I do this, I'm going to get good stuff. If I don't do this, I'm going to miss out on the good stuff. I want the good stuff. You understand how that might be a more motivating fear of the Lord? So it is more the desire for abundance and pleasure that are found in doing things His way, and following His ways. So, level three fear of missing out. I desire the abundance and the pleasure that attend doing things in God's way. And so that's why I fear the Lord. I want that stuff. Amen. Now some of you are probably thinking, is that is that even okay? Can I? Is that, am I allowed to do this just for pleasure? Yes. And the Bible says yes. You are. Right? In fact, I'll show you my example. Here's the verse that got me thinking about this and the verse that messed with me. In Isaiah 11, it is is clearly, indisputably a prophetic passage about Jesus Christ. No doubt about it, all right? So in Isaiah 11, he's talking about Jesus, and there's this little phrase in there. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. Then I started thinking, what the heck does Jesus have to be afraid of with God? You ever think about that? Why would Jesus fear the Father? Yeah, But he had not done anything wrong.
1: He never does do anything
0: wrong. He is a really good kid. Yeah. <laughs> what has he got to be afraid of? And beyond that, delightful? He finds the fear of God delightful? What's up with that? How does Je- what, what is Jesus doing that makes... Fearing God, delightful. I need to understand this because I'm missing something. You with me? So this is what got me going. Now, before we move on, uh, this is interesting. The word delight there, and his delight is in the fear of the Lord. Uh, The Hebrew speaks of a pleasant aroma. So it's literally the fear of the Lord smells good to him. He delights in it. So if you can manage to walk in the fear of the Lord, remember we talked about being a garden? God walks by and goes, ooh, Keith's walking in the fear of the Lord. That smells good. Amen. That's delightful. I'm going to hang out with that. Right? So let's understand what delightful fear is. So here's my thinking on it. Again, you can follow with me if you want. The, Jesus delights in the fear of the Lord. So I went, well, all right, let me just examine Jesus' relationship with the Father, if, see if I can figure out what was so delightful about fearing the Lord for Jesus. And so I look at his relationship, and there's a lot of places you can look. I've just given you the one verse that I think sums it up the best. But here's what I see. John five nineteen through 20. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Now, I would tend to argue that Jesus seemed very capable, certainly more capable than any of us. And yet, he's saying, nah, I don't do any of myself. But what he sees the Father do. And whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. Now, here's the picture that that's painting. Jesus is enraptured with how much the Father loves him. He goes, the Father loves me, and the Father is showing me the way he does things, and I only do that. I'm afraid, catch this, I'm afraid to do it any other way. I'm afraid to do it my way. I just, I'm, I just the fear of the Lord that is delightful is... Man, his ways are so good. They work so well. I delight in those and I'm afraid to do it any other way. That's, That's what I think the fear of the Lord is. That's level three fear of the Lord. That's way better than I hope God doesn't send me to hell. Right? You with me? And so I want to level up. I want to graduate to level three fear of the Lord more and more. So I put it in bold so it would be clear. Here's what I think the fear of the Lord is. The delightful fear of the Lord. I think it's when we are so confident in his love and in his goodness that we desire only his ways. We're not obeying because we're afraid it's going to go badly for us. We're obeying because we're going, that's the best way. That way works. Right? I think that's the fear of the Lord that Jesus was delighting in. I only do what I see the Father doing, because His ways are awesome. They work so well. I'm going to go to the cross. I don't want to, but Jesus said, the Father said, this is going to work. Right? And so, regardless of the circumstances I'm in, can I decide that God's ways are better than mine? Regardless of whether I understand them or not. How often Have you told your kids, look, I have time to explain now, just do what I say. You know it's going to work better even though they want to argue about it because they don't understand why it's going to work better. How many things does God have that he can't explain to us? Because we can't do the math. Right? So even not understanding, can I go, Isaiah 55 is true. Your ways are higher. Your thoughts are higher. Even if I don't understand them, I'm going to delight in them and believe that that's the best way. I don't want to do my own thing. I want to only do your thing. Now, see, this is easy for us in easy things or easy-ish things like, you know, not stealing. Well, yeah, okay, I won't steal. Not only because I don't want to go to jail, but because that's better. Yeah, 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 right. That's not that hard. But what about when we get to harder things like, Uh, you know, loving your enemies and stuff like that. Is that really a better way? doesn't feel better. Does it? So let's explore those things. What I believe is if we can really get a hold of this, this fear of the Lord, this delightful fear of the Lord, I'm afraid to do anything other than His ways because His ways work and somehow there's delight in them even if my circumstances aren't delightful. And so we move from doing things out of obedience to doing things for delight, for delight in what delights God. It becomes desirable for us to delight in Him, in the things that delight Him. We begin to be motivated not just by I have to obey, but by I want the delight and pleasure that are in doing things God's way. Right? Sometimes there's a delay between reaping and sowing. But we keep sowing. We will reap if we don't faint. We will reap delight. Psalm 112, verse 1. Another one of the verses that ties the fear of the Lord to keeping his commandments. But I want you to catch this. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Who delights greatly in his commandments. Didn't just say keep them. Right. It says enjoy them. Yes. Delight greatly in them. Now I'll be honest with you, some of his commandments I find delightful, some of them I found annoying. Yeah. Just being real. Yeah. And yet, they consistently work better than my ideas. Yeah. Can you believe that? Yeah. 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 Even the ones I find annoying. Now, just for fun, I'm not going to do it, but if you want to go, there's about another 11 or 12 verses, I think, in Psalm 112. He goes and lists all the blessings of the man who delights in his commandments, and they're significant, and they're multi-generational, and you should go read those. They're good blessings. It's a motivator. Oh, I think I might want to delight in his commandments if all this stuff is going to happen to me. Right? Is it sinking in? See? Commandments uh, is a, you know, no one likes that word. Try that with your kids. Yeah. All right, here's the commandments for the house. Yay! Right? They love that, don't they? It's really hard to hear the word commandment and not hear constraint. But if we can begin to see that his ways are better, then the things we see as constraints, we begin to see as blessings. I'll give you a great example. I was, um, a young couple called me, up. have actually lived in Orlando. I don't know, I think they had family over here. They called me up and wanted to know if I'd marry them. That standard thing I do with people that aren't here is I go, I don't know, but I'll meet with you because I figure uh, I maybe can talk to him about Jesus, and uh, you know, because I, I got like, I, for example, the Bible doesn't let me marry a believer and an unbeliever. Um, not everyone you'd think the believer in the relationship would know that, but they don't always know that. So uh, that might be the case. I might not be able to marry him, but I might be able to get the other one saved. So I can't marry him. Who knows? So I'll, I'll take a shot. Let's let's talk. No guarantees. So this couple comes over, and. Turns out they, they're living together in a little two bedroom apartment. They want to get married, and I think it was three or four months out. They want me to marry him. They have some faith, but it's, it's, it, it, they're largely ignorant of, of the, the gospel. And so I just explained the gospel to them in a clearer way uh, how Jesus died for their sins, how they could put faith in him and all their sins be forgiven. And they got it. And I said, Do you want that? And they said, Yes. And we prayed. And now I know that both of them were saved, and they're already living together, so they should probably get married, right? right? Now, what's the elephant in the room that every pastor just loves doing? Yeah. So they've been, they've been as near as I can tell, they've, they've had some fear of God, but they've been saved for all of two minutes. And, and I've, I have the, the honor of going now. By the way, uh, it's pretty clear in the Bible, Um, you should not be sleeping together until you get married. So you should stop that, right? That's the commandment, and uh, you should just obey God and quit doing this. I know it's going to be very difficult, and you're living together, and it's completely impractical to ask one of you to move out of your two-bedroom apartment for the next three or four months uh, because you can't afford that. So I'm thinking through all this, trying to figure out a, a nice way to go there, and this idea drops in my head that is so good, I'm sure it's God. Because you know how that happens? <laughs> so uh, my occasional brilliance, it doesn't happen often. And I know it's not me. That's, uh, this one was like, that's brilliant. That can't be me. So, um, so I go with it. So I look at her and I go, hey. I go, so, because I know in our hearts we know right and wrong uh, on most of this stuff. I look at her and I go, hey. So, you're going to get married in three or four months. I'm ready to marry you guys. I said, now, you're going to put on a white dress, and you're going to have a honeymoon and all that stuff. I said, do you want to go home that night and just be like it's been the last several months? Just, you know, go back to your apartment. You want to get up the next morning and just have to be like it's been, you know, just whatever. Sir, do you want it to be special? Do you want, this to be, do you want the honeymoon to be a first? Do you want uh, you know, the white dress to mean something? Do you want to know that you've done everything you can to get God's blessing and God's blessing you and God's with you? And I, I'm just asking. I said, Do you want that? And her eyes begin to tear up. And a little tear runs down her cheek. She goes, Yeah. And so I look at him. He's screwed now. <laughs> right? Or not. Well. Um, anyway. Sorry. <laughs> I look at him, and, I, and I, I go, I just ask this, I go, do you want to give her that? And he just goes, but it's real. I can see he's not just doing it grudgingly, It's real. He goes, he goes, yeah, I do. I go, okay. I said, why don't you move into the second bedroom? And this guy's, it's, it's three, four months. You can do this. Now, I honestly, I wasn't sure they could do it. I just wanted to try try and honor God, because yeah. I know humans, right? Yeah. And, and he actually did, he made it, I talked to him afterwards, he goes, he goes, I did it, Pastor. He goes, I took up woodworking. I said, awesome. <laughs> so, young men, get a hobby. Now, here's what I want you to get from that story. I don't know if they'd have made it or not. If the motivation was just obey God so bad things don't happen to you. But do you understood, do you understand what God did, how God motivated them? God motivated them with the blessing of the higher level. Of the of the blessing of God, the desire of what you can have if you do this the right way. And all the things in the Bible that feel like constraints to us are really God trying to bless us, trying to give us more then we think we're missing. You understand that? And so, we can turn those constraints into blessings. Now, here's my view on this as we try and pursue level three, fear of the Lord. There is tremendous freedom in trusting him in his ways. Do you understand the pressure involved in trying to figure out how to fix your life? It's hard. There's a lot of pressure. What do I do now? What do I do now? What about this job? What about that job? What about this kid? Oh, my God. What about that kid? What do I do? There's tremendous pressure in that. What if you could just remove all that pressure by going, God, I'm just going to do it your way and let you worry about the results? You understand the freedom there is in entering into this kind of fear of the Lord where I'm just doing it his way. Whether I understand it or not, there's tremendous freedom. And the thing I want you to get is that difficult things can become delightful if we do it his way. Difficult things can become delightful. I will give you just a few examples of some difficult things. Now, the first one I'm going to talk about, Now, not everyone finds these things difficult, but some people do. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, giving. Uh, now, we don't talk about giving that much here. Uh, as you can tell, we just put plates up here and hope people will put money in them. Um, by the way, you know, that's what you should do. Uh, I don't make a big effort on this because I know this is a hard thing. But I'm still going to teach on it occasionally because it's Bible. It's important. It is, there's a reason God talks it being, about it being a sign of our faith, what we do giving, because he knows some of us have a hard time turning loose of our finances to him, right? You're 10%. Can I trust God with that? Right? And so I get that that can be hard. Um, but I want you to see, and, and, and again, like I said, if you ever question our motives, it's just, you need to tithe. It's in the Bible. Just do it. If you think it's because I'm trying to get rich because I did this for the money, um, Yeah, I don't care. Tithe somewhere else. Just prove God. Leave me out of it. Go tithe somewhere else if you question my motives. But you need to tithe because it's in the Bible. That's what believers do. Now, let's look at that because some people find giving difficult. All right? So I want to look at the three levels that you can do this on. The first one in Malachi 3, uh, God's talking to the Israelites and he says, hey, by the way, you guys are under a curse. And they're like, dude, what's up? Why? He goes, well, you're, not, you're withholding the tithes and so you're cursed. And he goes, if you'll bring it all into the storehouse, I'll rebuke the devourer. You know, the one who's causing your crops to fail and your cars to break down, stuff like that, you know, early Israel models. And um, so it's that first level, tithe or be cursed obey or be punished. And so, some of them go, all right, I don't want my car to break down, I'm going to tithe. (laughs) $78.32 and not a penny more. Right? You see the next two levels in 2 Corinthians 9. I want you to see Paul talking about giving here. He says, but this I say, he who s- sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And so we're back to sowing and reaping, right? And so if you don't want to barely pay your bills every month, you know, maybe round up to $80 instead of 78 23 <laughs> Throw it a little extra. There you go. I'm a big fan of rounding up just because it's easier on the people who do the checks. 23 dang it. Yeah. Just saying. Anyway, I don't look at that. They do. All right. Now, he goes on. He says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. Now, wait a minute. You told me I was going to reap sparingly or I was going to be cursed if I didn't tithe. I am only doing this because of necessity. And I am doing it grudgingly, but I'm doing it. I'm obeying you. So I want the devourer rebuked. And Paul goes, well, you could go further than just doing this to avoid negative consequences. He says, God loves a cheerful giver. What, you want me to be happy about this? You want me to be happy about giving God 10% of my money? Paul says, yeah. By the way, God is able to make all grace abound to you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. By the way, you just get a little happy about your giving and start getting into that sowing uh, abundantly and reaping abundantly. Uh, God will give you not only everything you need to pay your bills, He'll start giving you extra so you can be a blessing to people. Now, I want you to be, seriously, I want you to be careful with this. Because if you start entering into God's economy and being generous and happy about giving money you could get carried away with this. <laughs> be very careful. Rachel and I have found ourselves sometimes just enjoying giving people some of our money because they had a need. Uh, and, and having fun with it. And I'm like, well, this is wrong. This can't be right. I'm giving away my money and I'm enjoying it. <laughs> right? It could happen. You understand how we move to delightful. Now, now I'm not tithing because I'm afraid God's going to punish me. I am enjoying participating in his economy, which is way better than the economy of any country you live in, yeah. including ours. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. you getting this. And so even hard things can become delightful if we begin to see that God's trying to bless us. God's trying to bring us into the way he does things. Let's look at forgiveness. Anybody, don't raise your hand. Anybody had a hard time forgiving someone? Some of you had real reasons. I'm working on, you know, forgiving a guy who was mean to me. And, you know, uh, somebody, you know, you had something terrible happen to you as a child, maybe. And uh, the commandment to forgive doesn't change. It just, it, you, the only difference is the worse you've been offended, the more grace you need to do it. Right. But, and so my forgiveness may be easy. I can decide to do it in my own strength. Your forgiveness may take the strength of God. But you still need to forgive It's commanded, right? And so we read in Matthew 6, right after the Lord's Prayer, he says, if you don't forgive, I won't forgive. Doesn't he? So you're going, well, dang it, now I have to. And so we do that sometimes. We do level one, fear of the Lord. I'm going to forgive so God won't hold it against me. And that's good. Don't, you know, forgive so you'll be forgiven. Or maybe you kind of move to level two. Uh, James 2, judgment without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. All right, well, I'm going to be the better man. I'm going to forgive and, uh, because I, want, I don't know right now, but I might need some mercy in the future. I want to sow some forgiving uh, so there's some mercy there coming my way. I'm going to forgive because I need mercy. I'm going to sow some forgiveness so I can have some mercy when I need it. Come in, need a crop of mercy. Right. What about level 3? Micah 7. God says, I delight in showing mercy. And maybe you were there. This is what that looks like. You go to lunch with Jesus and uh, Jesus says, hey, you want to do something after lunch? And you go, yeah, Jesus, let's do, something. let's do something fun. You know, I've been praying a lot and reading my Bible. Let's just do something fun. Jesus goes, yeah. Let's do something. Let's just do something fun. Hey, I got an idea. You know that guy at work that has been ridiculing you because he hates me? And he's been picking on you. He's been, uh, you don't even know this, but he's been going behind your back and trying to get you fired uh, from the boss. Not sure if I should have even told you that. <laughs> but uh, you know that guy? You know, you know that guy? So, listen, he's on a project right now, and he doesn't know how to finish it. And he's in danger of getting fired. Let's go help him and show him mercy and see if it gets to him. Come on, it'll be fun. Wouldn't that be fun? Don't you want to do that? That's lunch with Jesus, guys. I said I wanted to do something fun. Yeah, let's go show him. I delight in showing mercy. Let's go find that guy and show him mercy. Who thinks like that? Jesus. But if we can learn to think like that, even forgiveness can be delightful because things will happen. Are you getting this? It's it's a lot harder than it sounds, but it's real. Guys, if we can enter into uh, this delight in the Lord, I'm so confident in your love and in your ways. I'm just going to do it your way. Even mercy, I'm going to learn how to delight in it. I'm going to learn to have fun forgiving people. I'm going to quit doing it grudgingly. Right? might require some prayer, won't it? Depending on how mean people have been to you lately. Suffering. Suffering is hard for everybody. Suffering was hard for Jesus. Jesus went to the garden, sweat blood, and said, Dad, could we do this any other way? And Dad said, Nope. He said, all right, your will be done. Hebrews 12, why Jesus do it? For the joy set, joy set before him, for the delight, for the future delight. Father, I'm going to do this your way, even though this is hard, but I want you to know that my eyes are on the delight that's going to accrue from this. And the apostles must have learned something from this because in Acts chapter five, the church is like weeks old, brand new church. They round up a few of the apostles, bring them in before the religious leaders, they yell at them a lot and give them a good beating. And they leave and they're excited. They're rejoicing that they've been counted worthy to suffer for the glory of Jesus. They're excited about their beating. When did your kids ever do that. I can just see Peter going, This is awesome. Remember last time we all ran away and I denied Jesus? This time we hung in there and they beat us. This is great. We suffered for Jesus. We're joining with Him in suffering. All the delight in knowing that we're having fellowship with Him. Who thinks like that? People who know Jesus. Maybe that's what Paul meant in Philippians 2 when he said, Ah, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection. In the fellowship of his suffering. What? Paul? You like suffering? No, 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 no. I don't like suffering. I like the fellowship with Jesus when I'm suffering for him. I like the intimacy that I get when I'm participating in his sufferings. I just like doing it his way. I know there's beatings in it, but it's so worth it. It's so delightful. The delightful fear of the Lord can be hard. You following me? So here's the sum up. And uh, this band, you can start to work your way up here. The sum up of this, I'm praying for level three, fear of the Lord. I want to be confident in his love like Jesus was. The Father loves me. I want to trust in his goodness. His ways are good. Even if I don't understand them, I believe that the scripture is true, What he says, all things work together for good to those that love God. That somehow, even these bad things, he works together for good. And so I'm just going to try and delight in his ways. Not just obey him. Not just do it because I don't want to be punished. Because I don't want negative consequences. I'm going to try and find the delight in it. I'm going to try and find the fellowship of Jesus in it. I'm going to try and go deeper into my own heart so that I'm doing this with delight, with fellowship with the Son of God. I want level three fear of God. Now, in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, I love this passage. It says, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. The church was growing because... They were walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I suspect that for us to get the things we're asking for, for, I believe God's saying this to us in this hour, for us to go where we want to go, for us to begin to experience the things that the church in the book of Acts experienced, for us to have that kind of Christianity, we are going to have to re-engage the fear of the Lord, that the church in America has to some degree lost the fear of the Lord. And we need to re-engage. We need to back in, And all we can do is our little expression here and go, we want the fear of the Lord. We want to delight in the fear of the Lord. I want delightful fear of the Lord. I want to be happy about it. And the only way I can do that is to do it with Jesus and go deeper and just keep asking him, show me, go deeper in my heart, show me. Show me, Lord, I want the fear of the Lord. So let's stand. Let's pray that if you're with me. Lord, as we go into worship, we just say our prayer is not only can we have the activity of your kingdom that we see in the book of Acts, can we have the fear of the Lord that we see in the book of Acts? Would you restore to my heart To Church on the Rock, to Brevard County, to America, the fear of the Lord. Lord, we desire the fear of the Lord that is delightful, that your church would walk in the fear of the Lord, that they would, like Jesus, delight in the fear of you. Lord, I need revelation. I need revelation of your love. I need revelation of your ways so that I can see why it's delightful to do it. your Lord, help us. We just say we want this. We want this. We're going to keep asking, Lord, for the fear of the Lord in our midst. In the name of Jesus.